Well, good morning, church. How you doing today? Uh, man, it's so good to have so many here, so many of you join us online. Hey, I was a child of the 80s. Grew up in the 80s and 90s, but little kid years were back in the 80s. Any other 80s kids with me in here? Got a few of you? All right. That's back in the glory days of cartoons, back when cartoons were good and they made some kind of sense. Because we had the, like the, the generation before us, they were still showing those reruns, and then we had the good ones getting produced that time. Like you remember the good cartoons, the Looney Tunes, Bugs Bunny, Daffy, Elmer, them, right, right, right? Um, but then you had the good ones, Tom and Jerry. You had Rocky and Bullwinkle. The Rocky, watch me with a rabbit on my hat, right? I mean, it was just, those were great days, right? Good cartoons, the fun ones. And I don't know if you're like me, you could watch the same ones over and over again and still laugh at them. Like, I knew every time Wally Coyote was going to end up getting thumped by his own device, the Acme thing was going to come crashing down on his head, and Roadrunner was just going to look at him and go, beep, beep. And they take off. But I laughed every time. Like you saw it coming. For those of you who have no clue what I'm talking about, you're lame. Missing out. Like, Google it. It'll be funny. You'll be glad you did. But then there were some of those cartoons that were sneaky, right? Adults back in that generation were sneaky. Because there were some set to music, and they were good. They captured your attention. The, the music was so, I mean, it's just such a good tune to get stuck in your head. You're like, wait, wait, what's going on in this cartoon? You remember the Schoolhouse Rocks thing? Yeah. Songs like this one. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Hooking up words and phrases and clauses. Conjunction, junction, how's that function? I got three favorite cards that get most of my job done. Conjunction, junction, what's their function? I got and, button, or, they'll get you pretty far. And, that's it. Now, I may or may not have gotten sidetracked for an hour or so in preparation for this message based on <laughs> Schoolhouse Rocks. I, maybe. But it seems like these days that little conjunction or gets all the press, all the publicity. We are in an era in history and especially in American history that is just divided. We're told it's either this or that and we got to make a choice. Either Coke or Pepsi. You're either an early morning person or you're a night owl. It's either dog or cat. That's legit. Like it's dog. (laughs) Unless your cat is like a lion or a tiger. Like, that's cool. If you get a cat like that, that's awesome. You're my friend. But if it's one of those little meow things, no, no, I don't know what you're up to. Now, these are called dichotomies, right? A dichotomy means there are two options that cannot coexist the same way. You got to choose one or the other. And we're told we got to choose this one or that one. And so we're faced with all these dichotomies. Sometimes, a lot of times, not so playful, right? Like, these things come at us all the time. And and I want to preface this real quick. Stay with me, don't get mad, don't get lost and sidetracked on this, okay? Because we know we face the dichotomies of mask or no mask, vax or no vax, support police, support minorities, or we start getting into politics, start getting into all that stuff, and real quick, like some of you, I can see, like all the joy of those of you who were singing along with Conjunction Junction has just turned to like anger. <laughs> so come back to me. But like we're faced, like it's CNN or Fox, and that's where we are as a nation. We're faced with this either or kind of thing. And we could get really sidetracked on all that. Because this tiny little little word or 
has created this enormous gap. Two words, two sides, or sorry, two letters, two sides, and this huge gap between them. Now, unfortunately, here in the church, we're not immune from that kind of stuff. You may have felt this tension. You may have felt the pull that you got to choose one or the other. It's either grace or truth. It's either go deep or go wide, help people find or help people follow. It's either the head or the heart. It's either what we believe or what we know or it's what we do. It's either being or knowing. You may have felt this tension either there, grace or truth. But what if? Well, what if the choices it seems we're given aren't the only option? Well, what if it's really not a dichotomy at all? What if some of these dichotomies are false? Well, what if it's not an either or, but a both and? What if both options aren't mutually exclusive, but they're meant to be together? What if they don't compete, but they complement one another? What if that's the way it's supposed to be? Now, for sure, there are certain things that we do have to choose either or. You're either heading north on 65 or south on 65. Uh, you, you, know, you, you either vote for this person or that person. You only vote for one candidate per office legally. You only get to vote once, legally. <laughs> Stay off the politics, big derailment there. You either choose to, to root for UK or U of L when they play against each other. Like, you're, you're going back and forth. That's just, that just doesn't make any sense. And there's some that are way more important than all that. It's either life or death, it's heaven or hell, it's Jesus or not. So there are some dichotomies, some choices that are, without a doubt, forever, they are either or. But in an area where or gets all the attention, it seems that we would benefit from having a little more and. Getting a little more both in our diet. So in this series, and, we are going to lay into, just lean into this little ampersand. And what it means for the church, for the people of God. That it's not an or in so many things. But and is a pretty important conjunction for us to live out the life and the mission that God has called us to. See, it's grace and truth. It's head and heart. It's deep and wide. It's helping people find and follow, being people of compassion and conviction. And that's what we want to lean into. And today we're going to kick it off with Take a look at finding and following, being deep and wide. Have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? Anybody in here ever been to the Grand Canyon? If you, all right, we got a handful. Any of you online ever been to the Grand Canyon? Just type in, been there. Just throw it in the chat. And if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, even if not, even if you've only seen it in pictures like this, you've seen it in movies or videos, like you know it is aptly named. It is grand. A mile deep. 18 miles wide, 277 miles long. Impressive is an understatement. To stand at the edge of the canyon and feel the wind come up at you. To gaze across the expansive gap. To go down into the valley, into the canyon, and look at the beautiful painted rocks all around God's artistry on display. To, to feel the vastness next your smallness it is grand but what if what if this canyon so deep so why what if it was 
18 miles wide, 277 miles long, and two inches deep? Would it cause our hearts to pound fast? Would we feel the fear as we step close to the edge? No. No, it's like driving across Kansas. It'd be boring. <laughs> just like, ah, great. Let's get through this place, right? You don't pause at all. You just try to hammer through, right? Like, why is there a speed limit here? There's nothing else here. Right? You just want to go. The Grand Canyon is like that, right? What, what, what if it were just really deep, but just a couple inches wide? That barely wide enough you could even gaze into. You'd never see its depth. Oh, that's cool. Can't see much. Let's drive on by. It's like a crack in the road. It's just annoying. You just feel a little bump on your tires. You want to pause. You want to be still and just motor on by. See, that's how it is with the church. God desires his church not to be deep or wide. God has called the church to be both deep and wide. There's no option there for an either or. It's a both and. If a church simply focuses on width. It fills all the seats, every service, several services on a week. We, we grow a church really wide. We compromise a lot of things and just go wide and not be very deep. And that might look impressive to the world around us, but it's, it's not going to catch the attention of hell. It's not going to get the approval of heaven. But in the same way, a church that prides itself on its spiritual aptitude being really deep, but disengaging from the world around it, that church really isn't very deep at all. If the church simply gathers together in a holy huddle and never engages the world around, that huddle really isn't very holy. It's what Jesus shares with us. Jesus doesn't give us the option to choose between the two. He tells us it's both. In a passage familiar to us, and a passage we tend to look at, fairly often here because it reminds us of our mission of the life Jesus has called us to. This is Jesus giving the great commission. He told his disciples, I have been given all the authority in heaven and earth. And therefore, because of that, whenever you come to a therefore in scripture, it's a little goofy statement, but whenever you come to a therefore, you got to look at what the therefore is there for. So this is because of this, because Jesus has all the authority, he gets to tell us what to do. He says, so because of that, now you go and make disciples of all the nations. That seems pretty wide. You baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That seems pretty deep. And teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Obey all the commands. Deep. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I like how the voice translation captures the last part of that. Disciple them. Disciple, simply a student, which means teach them how to be a student of Jesus. Form them in the practices and the postures that I have taught you, Jesus says, and show them how to follow. Show them how to follow. Show them to follow the commands that I've laid down for you, and I will be with you day after day, night after night, till the end of it all. That's Jesus' command for us. It's his invitation to mission. Uh, the way we say it here at OCC, we sum all that up with this, helping everyone find and follow Jesus. Last year, we did a series on this called it Essential Business. I realized in reflecting back on that, that as we focused, like Jesus permeated the whole series, and we focused on helping and everyone and find, focused on follow, but we forgot one really important word, and. 
It's not an or. It's not a but. It's and. That that's the mission. See, to help people find Jesus, that's why. To help them follow Jesus, that's deep. To help people find Jesus, that's going everywhere into all the world. Everywhere we go, telling everyone we can about Jesus' love for them and their need for him. Following, that's learning how to obey. And not just being a student and learning all about, but learning to put it into practice. Practicing the postures and the practices and the rhythms of life with Jesus. That it changes us and transforms us and leads us to obedience. Not just believing in God is out there, but believing God. Where the belief is shown in action and trust, stepping forward in faith. That that's following. That's deep. Now the natural gravitational pull for anyone who's walked with Jesus for a while is that eventually we tend to focus more and more and more on depth. And that's not a bad thing. We want to be people who are deep. We want to have a deep spirituality. Like Paul writing to the church at Colossae, we we want to have our roots grow down deep into Jesus. But depth at the exclusion of width is not God-honoring. And that becomes pretty bad. In fact, Jesus would say it this way. Jesus says, a church that's not seeking to widen itself really isn't very deep at all. He, he might even say it like this. If you're not helping others find Jesus, you're not really following Jesus. That's a tough statement. That seems pretty bold. But it seems to line up with what we read in the New Testament. If we're not about finding and following, then we're not doing either one of those the way we should. See, when it comes down to it, the life in Jesus is really a life of fish and fruit. Fish and fruit. Like, this is our spiritual diet. This is the Jesus life summed up in food. Fish and fruit. You might choose different fish, but my kids like these. So, and this is what it's about. There was a moment when Jesus was teaching. He was standing at the shore of a, of a lake and he was teaching, and Jesus was a really good teacher. So people kept crowding around the one here more and more and more about what he said. And so as the crowd got bigger and bigger, and they were kind of pressing in on him, Jesus was getting a little claustrophobic. And it's hard to teach. If you've ever tried to teach in a crowd, it's easy to teach a handful of people circled around him. But when that crowd gets big, they can't hear in the back, and people are making noise. And Jesus is like, man, this is not a good teaching environment. So he looks over, and there's a couple boats there, empty boats. The fishermen were standing nearby cleaning their nets. They hadn't caught any fish. They just, you know... Like what happens when I go fishing, they caught like a shoe and, you know, weeds and a milk jug. So they're just cleaning their nets, and Jesus hops into one of the boats, tells the owner, hey, Simon, I need you to push us out. I'm going to teach from the boat. Simon's like, all right, I got you. Hops in, rows out a little bit. Jesus sits in the boat, and he teaches the crowd from the boat, a much better teaching environment. And the crowd is like, oh, they're just amazed at what he says. And then he wraps up the teaching, and the crowd goes on. And Jesus rocking in the boat with Simon. He says, hey, Simon, you get your, your net in here. Go ahead and cast it out right over here. And Simon's like, <laughs> bro, like you're a good teacher, but I spent all night doing that very thing, and I got nothing, nothing good to show for it. Like, I'm not going to do it. And then he looks, and Jesus is just looking, and I'm like, yeah. Simon's like, all right, I'll humor you. It's going to be great. I told you so moment. Simon throws the net over. And in short time, 
the boat is filling with fish. As he's dragging this net in, it's about to sink his boat. He calls to his buddies, I'm sure they row their boat out, they come out, and then their boat is filled with fish. And these boats are on the verge of sinking because there's so many fish, and it hits Peter like spiritual scales fall from his eyes, and he falls at Jesus' feet because he realizes there's something different about this guy. To the point where he calls him Lord. And he's like, Lord, get away from me. Not in this like, I don't like you, get away from me. But in this moment like, I can't stand in your presence. I don't deserve to be here. You are holy and I'm not. Depart from me, I'm sinful. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't get it. Don't be afraid. And then he tells him this. Jesus called to those guys. He says, come and follow me. I love this. You, follow me. And I will make you, right? Like something is happening transformationally in that moment. When you follow, I'm going to do something in you. You're going to become different. It's going to change your life when you follow me. So you come, follow me, and I will make you. I'm going to change you into something. What's he change him into? You're going to start fishing for people. Simon, who later, Peter, says, Simon, look at this. Like you're impressed because your boat is filled with fish. That ain't nothing, buddy. You, you wait you wait to see what happens when you start casting your nets for people. And I love the response, something we talk about often here. Immediate obedience to Jesus. They left their nets at once and they followed him. Now some of you know the story. Simon Peter ends up having a pretty good track record of casting his nets out. And God does some pretty neat things through his life. See, that's this life we've been invited to To follow Jesus is to become a fisher of men, that our life should be characterized by fish. That there should be fish in our life if we are following Jesus. It means that we're going to help people find him, that we help people find their hope in him. They find their healing in him. They find their comfort and their peace in him. They find truth in him. And like true truth, not this wishy-washy weird kind of truth is whatever you make it that our world has gotten wrapped up in. Truth is like, well, if it's good for your heart and it makes you feel good, then that must be true. No, that's not true. That's not centered. We do stupid things because we try to follow that kind of truth. That is not good for us, but like true truth that means something in the study when we find our truth in him, our stability in him. We find life and salvation in him. That's what we help people find in Jesus. Over the years, I've learned that, and I've been in a bunch of different churches, and uh, different roles, different times, different places, but I've learned that just about every church has a Charlie the churchgoer. You, you might know him. That's super good dude. Charlie's one of the nicest guys you're ever going to encounter. He's always smiling, always encouraging. He'll pray for you, reads his Bible, studies his Bible. He's in the Sunday school. He's participating in groups. He's participating in all that stuff. He told you a lot about God, told you a lot about the church, the way the church should operate, how the church does operate, all that. He'll tell you all about it. Charlie gives, gives of his money, gives of his time, gives of his sweat, his energy. Charlie's always at church. Just one problem. All of Charlie's friends, well, they go to church too. Charlie doesn't have any friends who don't go to church with him. And the problem is he's content with that. He's okay with that. A handful of places in the New Testament where Jesus encounters people who seem to have it all together. And Jesus just has this knack of saying, hey, all those things that you're doing, that's good. Don't stop doing that. Don't stop those things. Those things are good, but there's one thing you're missing. 
There's one thing you lack. And then it'll tell them what it is. I think if Jesus were talking to Charlie Churchgoer, he'd say, Charlie, keep doing all those things. But you're missing a pretty important piece of it. You never toss out your nets. You never cast your line. You never fish. And Charlie, you're missing the whole point of it. See, why does not a compromise to deep? Why does the overflow of deep? When we go deep with Jesus, we can't help but tell everyone we know, everywhere we go, about this Jesus who has changed us. And so we're supposed to be deep and wide. Now, I want to be careful here because I don't want to feel like guilt. That's not it. Or that you set some crazy, ridiculous expectation. Listen, God wires us in different ways. He gifts us and he, he's created us for different things. Like Eric, my buddy, who leads us in worship, he's gifted in song and music and to lead us in worship. I'm not, right? Like, like I'm, I'm in the right role, not doing that. You don't want me to try and lose. I, I can do that for a little bit and then I'll turn off the mic and just get us all going acapella, right? Like, but you don't want me singing the songs. Similar, Eric, his wiring isn't so much to be the preacher or the teacher, different gifts. And we have people who handle our money. Like some of us oversee it at a large scale and then there are the people who are down in the details to help us understand and give us what we need to know. Here's the thing. However you're wired, you might not be wired to lead us in song, but God still commands all of us to sing, to sing our song, to sing our praise to him. You might not be wired to teach or preach, but God commands all of us to share the hope that we have in Jesus with all those around us. You might not be gifted like a financial guru, like a numbers person, but God still commands all of us to be generous with what we have. So you might not be the next Billy Graham. And if you don't know who Billy Graham was, fantastic preacher evangelist. He filled stadiums. Filled stadiums because he refused to go to the stadium unless they prayed daily for a year before he went there. It wasn't just all about what happened in the moment. It was about everything that happened behind the scenes to get there. But Billy would go and he'd share a message. And hundreds, if not thousands of people, would come to know Jesus because of him. Over his lifetime, thousands upon thousands of people. Listen, you might not be a Billy Graham. You might never fill a stadium to hear you. And you might not lead thousands of people to become believers. But God has placed very specific people in your life, in your circle of influence. And I'm willing to bet my life that some of the people in your circle of influence are not in any of the rest of our circle of influence. And God says your job is to make sure they know. So that's how this wide thing happens. And and the the wide thing's important because that's where God gets the glory so it might not be your specific thing, but you're still called to do it. So, so the life that follows Jesus is a life about fish. It's also a life of fruit, a life that's characterized by fruit. Jesus says, his buddy John records John 15. He says, I'm the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. Dad cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so it'll produce even more. Now check that out. He cuts off the branch that produces no fruit, and he prunes the branch that does bear fruit. There's no branch on the vine that does not feel a blade. Every branch feels a blade. Friend, make it worth it. Better to be pruned than cut. Better to be pruned than cut. He goes on. 
Since you've already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. So remain in me and I will remain in you. This word remain, we could also translate abide. It's simply to find your rest and to find your being in Jesus. So let's pause right there. This is the essence of depth. That we abide, that we live in Jesus. And I don't want to assume that we all know how to do that. Like there are basic practices and postures of the life with Jesus where we learn what this looks like. Spending time regularly, daily, I would suggest, in the Bible. And and pausing in prayer. Not just giving our request to God, but listening. Just stilling ourselves to hear from him. Gathering in this setting and gathering with fellow believers outside of this setting. And serving and giving and on and on it goes. And if you're not sure what it looks like to remain or where to begin abiding in Jesus... When you leave this service, join us right over there at the next steps table in the lobby because we want to help you do that. It's why we're here. We want to help you learn how to go deep with Jesus. So he says, remain in me. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine and you can't be fruitful unless you remain in me. It goes on. It says, yeah, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. It's not should, it's not a mine, it's not a maybe. It's you will produce fruit if you're in him. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There's no fruit apart from Jesus. When you produce much fruit, then you are my true disciples. And this is the key to it all. And this brings great glory to my father. That's what it's about. Width is not for our glory. It's not to say, hey, we got a big church, look at us. It's to say, God is glorified. Because people have joined in the song of praise that all creation is called to sing. And if they're not singing the praise to God, then it's our job to invite them into the choir. It's for his glory. Because if they're not singing that song, God's missing out on the glory that is due his name, church. That's why width matters. But we want to make sure we're singing the right song and going deep with him. Fruit, when spoken of in the New Testament... This metaphor of fruit, this picture of fruit, always takes one of two different pictures. It's fruit produced in us, which is a changed life that looks more and more and more like Jesus. One of the most famous passages for that found in Paul's letter to the church at Galatia, where we see things like love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. But that's not the end of the list. We would add to it humility and generosity and prayerfulness and servitude, and on and on it would go. It should be a life changed and looking like Jesus. But that's not the only kind of fruit. There's fruit produced in us, but there's also fruit produced through us. That as people see our lives changed, and they see us living that out, that they will get a glimpse of Jesus. Not just of us. They'll say, there's something going on here. And as they see what's going on in us, they'll be drawn to us. They'll ask. And we will speak to them about the hope we have in Jesus. And that is fruit produced through us. That we begin to see other people come to know Jesus. Now, here's what I know. It gets really scary these days to start talking about widening our church. Because there are a whole lot of churches that have sold out for a whole lot less than God's glory. We could fill this place to overflowing if we joined in that, in that game. Here's my commitment. We will never compromise the foundation of what we stand on. We will never compromise that we stand on Jesus and his truth and his hope, that he is Savior, that he is Lord, and he is the only way. And his word is our guide. And we will not compromise that. 
We are people of prayer. We are people of the word. And we are people fiercely committed to him. But we're also fiercely committed to his mission because we're committed to him. And so we don't have to fear that we will compromise our depth to go wide. But as we go deep, that should take us wide. And here's what that looks like. That the deeper we get, the wider we become. Earlier this year, on Easter Sunday, we saw several people get baptized. It was a great Easter for us. And if any of you were there, man, that was a good one. Amen? That was a good day. This past Sunday, we saw God do it again. I love that old song. We'll see you do it again. Happened again. We saw another dozen people. 15 people made decisions for Jesus. 12 of them went all in with him and got baptized. Church, let's celebrate that. Here's the best part of the story for me. Earlier this year, my buddy Stu and I got together. We started uh, meeting for lunch. And Stu, I realized, was in that process of finding. He'd been coming to church for a while, and he, he was ready to go deeper with Jesus. And he was, he was in the finding process. A little bit before Easter, we had a conversation about baptism. On, on Easter Sunday, I stood in that water. I baptized Stu. And we baptized his wife. And we baptized her two boys. And less than six months later, I was back in that water. And some of the people they invited to church kept baptizing that water with me last Sunday. Church, that's the way it's supposed to happen. And that's not the only story. There are other people who got wet last week who'd been invited by people who got baptized on Easter. See, that's finding Jesus and then going deep with him and following him and inviting other people to come find him and go deep with him. And here's something you might not realize. That every time somebody gets out of that water, we say it's a starting point, not an ending point. Here's what we mean by that. You get out of that water, we're going to connect you to a mentor. Somebody's going to walk with you to help you grow and learn how to follow and go deep in your faith. And we're going to connect you up. Stu and I have been meeting this six-week journey. Six weeks is what it initially is. We've been meeting almost every Thursday since Easter and then we're still going. And Stu comes and he brings questions because he's got his own questions about Jesus. And we're walking through some books together. And then he brings questions from his wife and he brings questions from his kids. And he's going back home and he's discipling them. And he's helping them get deeper with Jesus. And he's inviting friends. And all the time I'm meeting people, and Stu's like, oh, you got to meet this guy. I invite him to church. And I'm working with him. Oh, you got to meet this guy. And Listen, church, that's the way it's supposed to be. That as people find Jesus and they begin to follow Jesus, then they're going to keep that going. And it's a beautiful picture. And that's what depth looks like. It's not a one or the other, it's a both and. Because when we catch the fire of what God is doing in our lives and doing in our midst, we can't help but invite others into it. The deeper we go. And listen, every time I sit down with Stu, and I've been at this thing for about 25, 30 years now, something like that. I don't think I'm shallow. I know I'm not the deepest dude in the world, but I'm not shallow. And every time I sit down with Stu, he's asking questions, and I'm like, oh. That's a really good question. Let's talk about that next week after I research the answer a little bit more. Like, blowing my mind with some of the questions that come my way. Sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, I know that one. And it's like, oh, how do you know that? I'm like, oh, because I've wrestled through that like 400 times in my own life, man. Yeah, here it is. Sitting with him makes me deeper. It takes me deeper. Helping somebody find Jesus takes me to a deeper level. Helping somebody follow Jesus takes me to a deeper level. That's the life Jesus has called us to. And it, it does not come naturally. That's not the natural part. What's natural is to choose this either or in a world that looks like it's antagonistic against us and coming at us. It, it's natural to just close in and say, well, I'm just going to be deep and forget the wide part. And that's not the mission of God. That's not what he has for us. That does not honor him or bring him glory. It's a both end and you can't separate the two. 
So we will be a church, we will be a people who live out a faith that is an and kind of faith that looks like Jesus, where it's not grace or truth, it's grace and truth. It's believing and behaving, it's knowing and doing, it's heart and it's hands. And it's all of that. It's helping people find and follow. And you begin to see what this life in Jesus looks like. Because we feel attention from one side and we feel attention from the other. And Jesus calls us to stay centered on him, square in the middle. And as Jesus calls us, we feel the tension to choose one or the other. And he says, no, it's both. Just live in the tension. We see that Jesus did exactly that for us. That he closed the gap between heaven and earth, between God and us, between brokenness and beauty. And Jesus stood in the gap for us, church. And that's where he calls us to. And he invites us into this beautiful and kind of life. This cross-centered life. This both and. Church, may we answer his call. I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. God, we want to be a people who bring you glory. And so we want to stand in the tension between the extremes, between the challenges, between the different options. We want to embrace the whole counsel of God, all that you have for us. God, we want to step into that cross-centered life you invite us to, where our roots go down deep into you and our hands stretch out wide to invite everyone in. God, I pray that this would be our prayer, that we would simply pause and ask you to show us who it is that you want us to talk to for you. God, show us who you want us to talk to for you. And then give us the courage to do it. That you would get all the glory from it. To Jesus we pray.